Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of the Early Dinner Podcast, a discussion show where everything is on the table. And if it's on the table, my friend Andy is going to eat it. We have heard your cries. You want more. You want more of the Early Dinner Podcast. You want more of me. You want more of Jill. And like the Young MC song, Bust a Move, you want it, you got it. Our very first episode of the Early Dinner Podcast has received so much great support, so much feedback, so much constructive criticism, and we are so thankful for everyone's input. We are using that input to make the show even better for the future. In today's episode, Jill and I will be reflecting on previous life experiences by using Eric Erickson's psychosocial life stage theory. We encourage our listeners to go through the same reflective processes that we have in this episode. How has your previous life experiences shaped you into the person you are today? Can you recall any moments of clarity that sparked insight? These are just a few of the questions that I want you to ask yourselves during this episode. Thank you for listening, now on to the show. Hey, Jill. Hey, Nick. What's going on? Just hanging out in my bedroom in my apartment on a Saturday night. (laughs) Woohoo! Look at us recording our episode on a Saturday night. (laughs) Please, someone be our friends. (laughs) It's the early dinner podcast. Everyone's our friends. (laughs) Everyone's welcome at the table. No one sits Uh, at it, though. No one sits at it except 120 people that downloaded last episode, which is insane. That's right. We dropped that bomb. 120 people. That's absurd because I don't even think I have 120 Twitter followers. So I'm just saying if you can follow this podcast, you should follow me on Twitter because I'd like to look cool on Twitter, you know? Wow. You got to sell yourself out there? I did. I tweet really funny stuff. I'm not going to give out my Twitter. That's because you deleted it because nobody liked your tweets. (laughs) No, because it got too political, Jill. Okay. We can't, no, 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 we've established the last episode, this will not be a political podcast. It is not. It is not, folks. Write it down. Stamp it on your forehead. If you have to. Alright, guess what? We got 120 downloads, that's crazy. We got so much great feedback from everyone. People told me to sit closer to the mic, so I'm right up in your face now. <laughs> uh, they said our chemistry was great. We had really good Don't get jealous of that, Rosso, please. Rosso, please don't hurt me. Rosso's my boyfriend, and he's also Nick's boyfriend, in case, like, I don't think I specified that. Guess who had him first? Us. We shared him at the same time. Okay, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, we had we had great feedback. I got a lot from a lot of family, a lot of friends, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people that I don't even know. Yeah. That's crazy. We got a lot of good stuff. Um, we got some very good constructive criticism, and we asked for it, and I'm not soft. We got it. And so I can take it. Nick is still recovering, and his therapist has been doing overtime for him, but yes. it's good. We got some not-so-constructive feedback. Things my brother doesn't like about me as a human, not necessarily about the podcast. Didn't he say he could smell you through the podcast? <laughs> it was, like, stuff like that, being smelly, and, like, he just doesn't That's like crazy. my personality in general. He also doesn't like my physical appearance. Basically mm. everything. So none of it really had to do with the podcast, per se. No, but I gave him a platform to give me feedback, so I can't blame him for that. (laughs) I think we need to do that more with people. We need to give them a platform to tell us how things are. That's fair. So give us more feedback. The meaner you are, the better, I'd say. Actually, that is true. The meaner you are, the better this podcast gets. Hey, let's get into the topic. Let's stop messing around. (laughs) Today, we are talking about something that I briefly mentioned in the last podcast. It is about Eric Erickson's psychosocial life stage theory. How many of you guys caught that he mentioned that in the last podcast? Probably not many because Any diehard he, fans out there. <laughs> he mentioned it at the very end, and I'm convinced the only person that listened to the very end was Anthony Rosso. <laughs> that is true. No, it's it's a it's a really cool theory. Uh, there's probably a lot of theories about the life stages, but this one specifically. Uh, I had a class on last semester, so I feel like I have enough information to talk about it. I re- did a little bit of research about this because I was the one that brought this up to Nick to do this as an episode because I was kind of pissed at him because he mentioned it like in passing in the last... He's not swearing. <laughs> I was kind of beep at him. 
<laughs> in the last episode because he mentioned this in passing and I was just kind of like, you know, we video chat while we do this and I was like egging, like egging him on to talk about it more. That's really cool. And, you know, he just moved on to make some joke about Burger King or something. <laughs> so... Well, I mean, you, you, what is your definition of you egging me on? You were just in the video chat typing poop into the <laughs> chat log and how am I supposed to know that that's my cue to start talking about the psychosocial? We period? discussed it before the episode started recording. Uh, don't act like I don't, don't act. So yeah, when I started researching this, I did see that there were a few different theories. So like if anybody's aware of other theories and they ever want to come on here and talk about it, that'd be pretty cool. Like I know Freud has a theory. I know another one called Joe Klein's life theory and it's uh, live fast, Ooh. die young. Hell yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Freud also had the theory that he was sexually attracted to his mother at a very young age. No, it wasn't that he was sexually attractive. He's saying... He was so into her, Joe. <sighs> you know it. He's saying that it happens. And, well, I... You know what? I shouldn't comment on this because I don't know much about it. I just know they mention it in some serial killer documentaries. <laughs> so, you know what? I'm just not gonna... I'm not gonna oh. comment and then have all the trolls be hating on me. All 120 of them. They really... We probably have, like, 105 trolls. Eric Erickson's theory, it's a life stage theory, it's composed of multiple developmental stages. Each stage is composed of developmental tasks, psychosocial crisis, and a central process. Now, for those of you who can't hear big words like that, I'll dumb it down for you. Developmental tasks are the tasks that you have to complete in order to move to the next stage of life. So if you think of life as a video game, Joe, what's your favorite video game? Mm, okay, well, first, I can just actually show you Nancy Drew's Mystery Games. <laughs> Did you just have that on standby? Well, I have like eight. Oh I have, my god. Well, this is the Nancy Drew Ultimate Dare. There's four in here. And then I also have, if anybody out there plays Nancy Drew besides my older Jesus sister, Christ. please, please, I have Stay Tuned for Danger, I have Treasure in the Royal Tower, I have the final scene, but I know you wouldn't like this part, so I'm just gonna say, well, what was that game of yours I borrowed and I loved it so much? Oh, uh, I played it on my Switch for like months, Mario. and I had to bring it down to you so you could beat S levels for me. Super Mario Odyssey. Oh yeah, that's a good game. If anybody has not played that game, it's a good game. It's a good game. Get that Switch. Shout out to Nintendo for sponsoring this episode. Do, 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 do. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, so if you think of the game like Super Mario Odyssey, there's a certain amount of levels that you have to complete in order to move on. So when you're in one of these levels, you have to complete these tasks. So you gotta, like, for example, you gotta collect stars. You gotta, uh... Collect beat stars, the dinosaur, you gotta, you gotta yeah. beat the ugly jump bunny. On the, jump on the turtle, throw the shell, do all that stuff. So all of those tasks can relate to your life. So, for example, I'm just going to rattle off one just to give you an idea. People that are in the school-age stage of the psychosocial theory, the tasks are friendship, skill learning, team play, self-evaluation. Those are just four of the many. So you got to do things like that in order to move on. And when you do that, you develop these personality traits. So what you're saying is, like, as you move through these stages and as you basically earn your stars, you develop, like, personality traits and you become more of who you are based off of each stage in your life. Exactly. So it's and exactly the like The Sims. If you are playing The Sims as a family, and I hope people in this podcast relate to this that are listening if you're playing as like a mom and you have a baby and you basically neglect her and when the baby becomes a toddler she's like evil is one of her personality traits <laughs> or like loner and like sad but if you really pay attention to her she's happy is one of her personality traits exactly and that relates to life too jill and not everything revolves around the sins so Although eric erickson did create this theory based off the sims i mean it's fair it is quite literally one of the best video games that has ever graced this earth except for of course nancy drew mystery games that's crazy i'm just still surprised that you literally had the the game box sitting next to you as i was telling that joke okay well i have to just also tell you that these games are literally from 2006 i think <laughs> And I, I kept buying them on Amazon, and I was talking about them with my sister. And, and these are literal video games, and they cost about $12 on Amazon <laughs> because nobody likes them. And I called my older sister, and I was begging her to please mail me these old games. And she was like, it costs more to ship it. Please just buy them on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone would just give you those for free, to be honest. <laughs> please. Hey, if anybody's giving away some Nancy Drew mystery packs that I haven't played, you better converse with me to make sure I haven't played them yet. I will... I'm open to accepting them. Was Nancy Drew real? Well, she's a book series, like, back from when our parents were growing up, and, mm -hmm. like... You think she was based on a real person? Yeah, and her name was probably Nancy Drew. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's pretty famous. I've never heard of her. 
if you've never back to this. I... All right, so back to this. Let's say that you fail a level, right? Let's say you fail Super Mario Odyssey, which I only know one person in the entire world that was able to fail a Super Mario Odyssey level, and that's Joe. <laughs> over and over. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say you fail this level. If you fail the level, you're stuck on that level. So if you're in the infancy stage of life and you don't uh, do the like go through the attachment task or the emotional development task or the sensory motor intelligence task, big words. If you don't go through those tasks you'll be stuck as an infant forever. And not literally, but, like, you won't grow up to be a very... Prosperous uh, child. prosperous. I don't know. But you you have to correct those things in order... And you can always go back and correct them later. So if you didn't get attachment from your mom, you know what? Go backfight her and get attachment. I don't know. (laughs) Physically attach yourself to her later in life. So what do you you say? What if we just get into the stages? And we'll talk about a little bit about the stages... We also want to tell stories, uh, kind of reflect on our lives in these stages and see if our lives can relate to Eric Erickson's Yeah, theory. so before you guys just exit out because you're like, what the heck, I liked the first episode because Jill is so funny and Nick is like so-so. You know what? We're going to bring that comedy. Gonna we're going to bring that comedy to this episode. So don't think this is all serious business because I have a lot of very dysfunctional stories from my childhood. Oh, as do I. My life before was a comedy <laughs> before it's undetermined if we're gonna allow our mothers to listen to this episode i'm i'm not sure if she should she might be mad at some of the stories i tell but well we need those downloads so i'm gonna send it to her anyway my mom you're gonna send it to my mom or your mom both okay well i don't think my mom listened to the first episode because she kept one <laughs> she asked me to send me the link multiple times so i was like she's playing me right now so she's the reason that we got all those downloads. <laughs> probably <laughs> So the first stage of the theory is called the infancy stage. It is from ages zero, so like as soon as you pop out, to about age one. Uh, One of the tasks is attachment, and one of the things that I want to talk about is my attachment to my mother when I was a very young child. And I feel like I had a very, very, very strong attachment to my mother. And I'm basing this off of my behavior as I grew up as a child. I don't know for a fact what my attachment was like as an infant. I can remember very little. But I'm assuming, based on the things that I will talk about later, that my attachment was very strong. And as you will see, sometimes this super, super, super strong attachment to someone could lead to problems in the future. The next stage is toddlerhood. That's ages one to three. The crisis in this stage is autonomy versus shame and doubt. So this is giving the child the freedom to explore, to move around, to experience new things, showing initiative and the opportunity to get away from mom and dad. So being away from them and just having that freedom. I'm not saying a one to two year old has the freedom to like go get a job or like <laughs> drive a car. They should. Do they know how they expensive bills you know are? What? Let's start a petition to get kids to start driving cars. <laughs> I want to see it. But what I'm trying to say is this is a critical age for them when they're they're watching people, right? Watching you as like, let's say you're a mom, let's say you're a dad. They're watching you. They're imitating the things that you do. They're basing their whole life experience off of what you do. So everything that you do they're going to copy. Yeah, so something I'm, um, I found in my research, and, and probably in the description, I'll link where I got my research, um, like who I found it from and stuff like that, just so that I'm not stealing anyone's thunder. I think it was maybe one of the podcasts I was listening to. They said, at this stage, toddlerhood, how you're learning to let go of objects and people, it's like a template for your relationships for the future. And I found that mm-hmm. so extremely interesting because that's still relevant to us today. And, and obviously you can change over time, but that's something you develop when you're one or two years old. That's absurd. If you're right. attached, if you have a hard time letting go of things and stuff like that, can you imagine developing something like that when you're two years old? Well, it's it's just crazy how much your life is based off of what happened to you as a infant and a toddler. You made that statement according to Erickson or you're making that statement in general? I'm just making that statement in general. Like just, I mean, I'm also basing this as off my own life experience, but I I put a lot of, put a lot of emphasis onto my early years as to what I am currently. Mm, Okay. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what other theories say, but that'd be something to look into. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The next stage is early school age. That's ages four to six. Um, the crisis in this is initiative versus guilt. So this is kind of where you start to develop free will. You start to learn that your actions have consequences. One of the stories that I want to tell, um, this is the first experience that I had with empathy. I don't know if you can remember like the first time where you uh, had an experience where you suddenly thought about how your actions are affecting another person. Mm, I can't remember. But this, this was one of my earliest memories and I think it sticks out to me because it was so traumatizing to me. 
So based on my attachment from earlier, I was a very, 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 very anxious child. I would never want to leave my mom's side, so when she would take me to school, I would just sit and I would cry in the corner from basically preschool until like second or third grade. Wow. Not proud of that. I would cry and I would never want to go to school, and then it started to become a problem in like first and second grade when I just would not want to go to school. I wouldn't even get out of the car. There was a time where I did get out of the car and my mom decided to drive away and I chased her car down the street <laughs> and my first grade teacher had to come out and get me and take me into class. Okay, but that's a really funny image. Like, I know and, this is uh, a very serious topic, but... <laughs> and Jill, listen to me. I was a quick kid. Like, right? your mom was like, peace, I'm out. She was going 40 and I was just <laughs> chasing after her. Oh my god, can you imagine I mean, what your mom saw in the rear view? <laughs> just me with like little stubby arms, just like crying, like bawling your eyes. I'm sorry, it's not this funny, but I just am picturing Laugh at my misfortunes. It's okay. No, honestly, I do. That's why I, I told you, I look back at a lot of this stuff and I laugh. Like, it's, it's so funny to think of me chasing after a car at like, I don't How old are you in first grade? Like, uh, well, 10, I started kindergarten early, so I was uh. only six. <laughs> <laughs> you were one of those kids. <laughs> yeah, my mom was like, get out of the house, go to school, I don't want you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, so that was one story of me uh, being very attached. Uh, so the, the big story is that, I think this, this might have been the same year, it might have been first grade. I can remember, uh, my mom drove me to school, and I had missed so many school days before this it was it was becoming a very very bad problem and my mom she was like at her wits end with this she did not know what to do she didn't know how to get me to school uh but the one day i can remember she drove to school and my my elementary school was in like this little town of monongahela and she pulled into this parking lot beside the school and we were parked there and she was like okay you have to go to school today and i'm sitting in the passenger seat i'm crying i'm crying i'm crying you were in the passenger seat in second grade yeah, I was a tall kid. No, you so were I... not. <laughs> okay, if if I remember correctly, you were definitely was... sitting in your car seat, like sucking your thumb in the back of the minivan. <laughs> okay, well that's not how I remember. I was wearing a blazer and I was smoking a cigar. <laughs> and I was. <laughs> Excuse me, Joanne. Can we get like some fact checking here, please? Yeah, mom. Please tell her. <laughs> tell her the truth. I was in a blazer. I was sitting in the back of my mom's. Uh, I can't remember what kind of car it was. I think it was like a. I think she had the first Tesla model at, in, when I was in first grade. Are you so sure was she wasn't just driving like spaceship to work to school? I think it was. It was a Honda of some sorts. <laughs> but I was sitting in the back, and my mom. Uh, I started crying, and then my mom was just getting like so worked up, and she turned around and she was just like, "Nick, if you don't go to school today, I'm going to jail." <laughs> And I, and I said to myself in my head, I was just like, oh my God, I can't let that happen. Me not going to school was going to result in my mom going to jail. And, and a first grader's head that I I thought back to that. I was just like, that's the first time I experienced empathy. That's the first time that I thought about somebody like my actions have consequences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's basically why I'm in grad school right now is because (laughs) if I don't stop going to school, (laughs) your mom's going to go go to jail. jail. So that's that, an that's expensive how life works. At, at some point you have to say like this is getting expensive my mom should just go to jail well that's why i thought like isn't your mom in jail because you're not in school anymore i'm not sure she wants me to divulge that okay it's okay i just thought i i thought everybody had to do that <laughs> but no that, that was a huge thing for me that was a I, I texted my mom earlier in the week and I was like, hey, remember that time that you threatened me by saying you were going to go to jail if I didn't go to school? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, that was, that was kind of messed up to tell a little kid. But at the same time, it wasn't that messed up because it worked. And it was a very big learning experience for me. Yeah. It sparked empathy. Something I learned in my life, and we can get to this later, is that, you know, when you're a teenager and you think you know everything, you just think you know everything. I always mm-hmm. thought to myself, my parents shouldn't do that or my parents did that wrong. And now that I'm an adult, and I am nowhere close to having a child of my own. I'm just a tiny bit more mature. I'm a, I have like a tiny ounce of more maturity in me than I did when I was in high school. I now realize you can never understand how to parent until you're a parent. And even when you're a parent, you probably are second guessing everything you're doing. So I, I honestly think until you're a parent, you can never understand like why they do the things they do because I cannot imagine a job like that. Right. It's the most stressful unpaid job in the world. Yeah, really. What do you, Question out there for everybody that's listening that has children. Why do you do it? They just... 
<laughs> what are you doing? They just cost money. They cause you stress. And they're mean. Like, I'm speaking from me as a child. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I can see why somebody would want to have me, to be honest. Really? Really? Yeah. Are you sure? After the story well, you just told? <laughs> well, I mean, that was one experience, but I learned from it. Okay. What are you trying to say? Um, why don't we just move on to the next stage? Okay, cool. <laughs> the next stage is school age. Uh, the crisis in this one is industry versus inferiority. This is uh, where it gets good. This is where this is where we start remembering things. Oh yeah, right? yeah. At least for me. So basically, in this stage, you're going to school, getting involved in social situations that you've never experienced before in your life, right? Mm-hmm. You you basically you stick to your own gender. Males are with males, females are with females, mm-hmm. and it's all about creating new experiences. So learning new things, engaging in more social situations. Mm-hmm. Joe, you put in the the notes that you were talking about gender and how big of a role that gender is in this stage mm-hmm. and you were talking about how sometimes when you're in this age you start to think of like oh like what do i want to do when i grow up mm-hmm. and a lot of it is based on your gender so you you decide oh i'm a boy i'm gonna do something so this was actually to. something that i heard on again one of the podcasts that i promise i'll reference at the end of the episode or like at the in the description it was just a really good podcast i was looking for podcasts specifically related to this topic since i know nothing and uh, i'm not in school so i don't know how to read anymore so i can't read articles i can only listen or watch tv and i'm in school and my mom is not in jail <laughs> so i can't I'm read i can't read and my mom's in jail so stay in <laughs> <laughs> stay in school kids let's get that trending on Twitter. <laughs> so stay in school kids okay so anyway um in this podcast the guy who was uh doing the podcast he was a, he's a phd in psychology i think and each stage he talked about he interviewed people of that age and you know when you're like little and maybe people can disagree with me and you can let me know what you think when you're that young like i'm thinking elementary school what third to sixth grade let's say do you think Mm -hmm. you're kind of put in your gender role or do you think it's natural like do you think the toys you're provided and the sports you play put girls with girls and boys with boys or do you think really that's what we want at that age to just be with girls and that or to just be with boys well i think i i you bring up a good point of like presenting the kids with sports and with toys that are gender specific but i think that like for me specifically like i would want to be with guys like when right. i was younger i would want to, and that, i think that's a pretty common thing it's like you just naturally want to go right. to people that are like you because i don't know this because you something to do because you too. like the same stuff you you guys like playing like red rover and tag football but what the girls and i like to do like when I, i'm thinking elementary school red rover. yeah i'm thinking of recess was called like looked like oh, yeah and me and my friends we like to draw hopscotch and like play on the playset and stuff and i'm not being ignorant to gender rules and stuff i'm just saying in general that's what the girls like to do that's what the boys like to do so my question is is that genuinely what these genders like to do and that's why we stick together or is it because that's what we think we should like to do so we just kind of adopt that that's that's like a question that you and i can't answer it's a question that nobody can probably answer but right i mean i I can give a little bit of insight just based on what i've experienced but like yeah what you said about recess like the guys would do what the guys want to do and the girls want to do what the girls want to do right and I, I don't think it's until you get older where you start to realize, like, oh, I can be friends with a girl. Guys, yeah. I can be friends with a guy. Right, right. So yeah, the great. reason I bring this up is because in this podcast, in this stage, the PhD was interviewing girls and boys. I think they were maybe fourth or fifth grade. And when they were asked what they wanted to do when they grew up, they chose very gender-specific roles. And when you're in fifth and sixth grade, you don't know what a doctor does, really. You don't know what a teacher... Like, you generally do, but, like, the girl answered and she said teacher, and she said ballerina, and the boy answered and he said fireman and policeman, and uh, even at that age, they already... Children already segment themselves where they think they should be. Right. But if there's a kid out there that, that knows what the labor market it is for an accountant then that's that's pretty impressive on a better note if there. you're a but child no, I, and and you're interested in like in being an accountant i'll give you my taxes you can do them <laughs> it's tax season so so here you go <laughs> spend your recess doing jill's tax um when i was younger i actually did think about doing accounting but i think it was based on what my dad did at mm-hmm. the time like my dad was an accountant mm-hmm. and i too wanted to follow in his footsteps and do accounting mm-hmm. and it's weird now that i'm doing a i'm in a field right now mental health counseling where i'm the minority mm-hmm. the majority of people in this field are women mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i don't know what that 
has to say about me, but that's gonna need some deeper diving. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll have to get into that later. <laughs> so, so this is a good this is a good point to ask. What did you want to be when you grew up? When you were in elementary school, what was your answer to that? What do you want to be when you grow right. up? Well, like in second grade, when you don't know what an accountant is. Yeah. Well, I think I think I did know what an accountant is just because my yeah that's the thing. So I didn't know what an accountant does, but because my dad was an accountant, I too wanted to be an accountant. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. But it was like I I was horrible at math. So <laughs> I would have been a pretty bad accountant you, and I struggled. I, I was accounting major in college for quite some time. Like a semester. <laughs> semester and a half. About as long as I was an accounting major in, <laughs> in college. <laughs> but I just like something that I think is kind of interesting about that is that I know you said you were attached to your mom. I don't know mm-hmm. if any of that comes from your dad because growing up, the two careers I went back and forth from I always said I wanted to be a writer because I have this romantic idea of being a writer in like New York City and cool apartment in like Manhattan and just like an absurd dream where really you'd be so poor and it would be terrible (laughs) but and I also am not creative I always did say I want to be a writer because I like to read and second I always said I wanted to be a lawyer and even when I was a junior in school and in college and I was almost through school like with an economics and marketing degree too that like very different from being a lawyer <laughs> Nick's making a face at me because he's jealous that I achieved <laughs> Ooh, more in undergrad than he did <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care <laughs> he definitely guys he cared <laughs> I did care so I said lawyer and writer those are the two things I always wanted to be and like my mom is a nurse practitioner and my dad's a professor and I don't think I was overly attached to either of my parents growing up so maybe there is something to that like you said something like you were, you wanted to be what your dad was and I know that's very common but I don't mm-hmm. particularly remember being very attached to my parents at all so maybe I, that's why I didn't choose anything that was kind of related to what they do right well I mean I feel like you still had a healthy attack like even if it wasn't super close you, you still probably had a very healthy attachment. Right. Uh, like what I should say, but, I have three siblings. So I come from right. a, a four-child household. So I, like, obviously it was close. I'm close to my parents and, like, I love my parents. But uh, it was the kids and the parents. You know, the kids stuck together and then the parents were parents mm-hmm. because there's so many of us. Like, if one of us was attached the way that you were to your mom, it couldn't work right. because there's three other people. So they, like, my mom wouldn't be able to handle that sort of attachment and take care of three other children, if that makes sense. So Yeah, no, it does. So there was a lot of inter-children parenting because, like, my parents are wonderful parents. They still are. They did a great job growing up. But there were so many of us that, like, my older sister had to take the role sometimes because mm-hmm. my parents were like, yeah, we can't do all this. You guys are out of control. <laughs> and I think, like, I have one brother that's two years younger than me. Like, I had two years all to myself. Mm-hmm. And those are probably the most important two years of your life mm-hmm. developmentally. So I feel like just because I was an only child for two years, like, I was so attached to mm. my mom and then once the demon child of nate came out then <laughs> everything went downhill from there <laughs> sorry nate it's okay no he knows, I, it. I, I, he knows it <laughs> i make sure he knows it he's not listening are you kidding me he's not I listening to, to this well, you can send it to him every day he's not gonna listen to this <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to talk about the crisis uh industry versus inferiorities So being industrious is like being competent at something or making yourself feel like you're competent at something. And this is very good for like uh, confidence and like self-evaluation and looking at yourself and be like, I'm good at something. So I have a really funny story about this. Uh, I played basketball in elementary school and we played at this gym and we would have games there and they would be so awesome. Like we'd have so many fans and they were all parents and it was so great. (laughs) But in my head when I was younger, I would hype myself up so much for these games because I, I could just picture myself stealing the ball and dribbling down the court and like hitting a layup and like everyone goes crazy. <laughs> and so when I was reflecting on this, I was just like, that did, ha- a couple of times it did happen. I would be uh, in a zone formation. I'd be on the top uh, left of the zone and I would anticipate the point guard to pass it. And then I would steal the ball. And in my head, I'm like, oh, it looks so cool when I steal the ball. But like you said, when I was running behind the car, like just imagine what other people saw Mm -hmm. whenever I'm like doing those things. So I I would anticipate it. I'd steal the ball. I'd run down and get a layup. And one of the things that I noticed when I was playing basketball was people would cheer louder whenever I scored. (laughs) (laughs) And when I I was younger, I was I was thinking to myself, like, okay, nobody cheers out loud when Anthony scores. Nobody cheers out loud when Zach scores. But when I score... Like, the cheerleaders start cheering, the band starts playing, all the parents on the sideline are, like, going crazy. And in my head, I was just like, I'm really good at basketball. 
and that's and the end did, of the story. He never no, realized. Yeah, and then I've, it took me a while to realize, like, okay, they're not cheering for me because I'm good at basketball. They're cheering for me because I'm so bad that they want me to feel better about myself. And I, to- I told my mom that story, and she's like, no, everyone thought you were so good. And I was like, mom, listen, I'm not, I, wasn't, I, was, I was a dumb kid, but I wasn't naive to the fact that everyone was cheering because Nick, the worst kid on the team, just hit a layup. I feel like that that uh, cements the inferiority versus... Right. Like, if they would have booed me... I would be a miserable person. <laughs> Which part of me thinks like they should have at least told me that I was I was really bad at basketball. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I wanted to take a little break and hear from our sponsors. We got another sponsor today, Jill. Oh. We have we, have, we went from one to two. Okay. Awesome. We're probably I've, rich now, aren't we? I think hey, so. Also, but I'm keeping the money I just myself. wanted to say before you get into this, we're yeah. still waiting on that check from my sports take. Well, that's good that you said that because he is the first sponsor. He's sponsoring us again, but he hasn't paid us yet. Well, it could be a he or it could be a she. I don't know who it is. He's anonymous. She's anonymous. We don't know. But, you know, the Super Bowl was, what, last week? Yes. I could have cared less, Jill. I don't care about football. But you know who does? My sports take. My sports take. My sports take will care about football to the day that he or she dies. (laughs) In my head is the number one blog on Instagram to get the best sports predictions, the best sports news, the best sports coverage next to ESPN. Do you like Skip Bayless? I don't. I don't even know who that is. (laughs) But I know my sports take, and I know that it is the number one sports blog. Give it a follow at my sports take on Instagram. Jill, did you notice my head tonight? Did you see that? Uh, It's as ugly and as big as normal. Thank you, Jill. I really appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. No, Jill, I got a haircut. Uh... Yeah, you see that now? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. It's actually a lovely haircut. It is a great haircut, and do you know where I got it? I got it from my dear friend, Nick the Barber. Nick the Barber is an up-and-coming barber in the Pittsburgh area. He will come to your house and cut your hair. You can go to his house, and he will also cut your hair. You can meet him at Chipotle, and he'll cut your hair. Well, Joe, where do you want to go? Chipotle. Uh, well, somewhere other than Chipotle, because I just said that. Oh. <laughs> oh, I get the... Oh, Panda Express, because that's my All favorite right, you place. You want to go to Panda Express? Nick's going to meet you there. And you live in Arizona, too. That's that's determination. He's going to come all the way out to Arizona to cut your hair? Uh, do I have to reimburse him for his know, travels? That's, I don't know. He might charge you a little extra. But... <laughs> we'll see. Follow Nick the Barber on Instagram. He's a great friend, a great barber. He'll cut your mug. <laughs> that's your new slogan, Nick the Barber. All right, so now we're getting into the adolescence stage, which is where I get to shine because I can remember all the stupid crap I did when I was an adolescent. I think for the sake of this discussion we're having, I think we could consider it late elementary school to high school. That's what I would consider adolescence. And Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. It's, it's a time of trying to develop a sense of self and a sense of personality. Mm-hmm. In this stage, they're trying to decide whether or not they want to be part of a group or uh, develop their own mentality. It's kind of like the sheep mentality. Like people want to be a part of a group, but they also want to be their own individual. I also, it's a really. I think that's the hardest part about this age is that oh, yeah. you want to be your own person because you're not like everybody else. But in junior high, if you're not like everybody else, you stick out like a sore thumb. And I'm not saying that to be ignorant. I just remember being so concerned about literally dressing the same as my other girl classmates, getting the same grades, doing what they do. Like, I feel like it's all about the inner confliction of wanting to be your own person because you're not being true to yourself, but also you just want to fit in with everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, if you don't fit in, then you're that kid, you're the outsider. Right, right. This is actually something that I think is super interesting for me to reflect on. So I went to Catholic school from kindergarten to third grade, and I went to public school after that. So I was in public elementary school for two years, and I felt like maybe I was too young to remember it, or I didn't notice in Catholic school, but I didn't really feel clicky at all. Everybody wears a uniform, so you fit in with everybody in that aspect, right? And I just really maybe wasn't old enough to realize we're different from each other. But when I went to the public elementary school, that was the first time I realized, oh, people are different. People act differently. People, And I'm different than these people. 
And I remember being in, I can vividly, this is like my first vivid memory from growing up. Um, I remember being in like a gym class of my first day in public school. And you know me, like I'm very outgoing and I can start a conversation. And I, I just picked a girl that I thought was nice and I started talking to her. And that very first day I met her and then she was my best friend for like the next two years. And I started talking to this other girl and we made this little friend group. And these two girls were pretty different from each other these girls were like wonderful people they're still probably wonderful people I really don't know them anymore since we graduated high school I realized oh these girls are considered like nerdy girls and dorky girls and you know like they don't shop at limited to injustice like the cool girls I mean they were more like who I was but I realized oh they're not cool and I started realizing that because I became friends with a girl who's very nice and again she's I hope she's doing well but she was considered one of the cooler girls and once I became friends with a cool girl I started realizing that my actual best friends were not cool and I remember struggling so badly in sixth and seventh grade because I didn't want to be a complete completely bad person and just drop these girls they were my better friends but I wanted to be part of that cool group and eventually I can like I moved on to be friends with the cool group and it was something that I liked at the time but looking back on it I'm very disappointed with my adolescent choices because the girls I was originally friends with were more like who I am today and they're great people and the cool group I was friends with it wasn't a lasting friendship that I kept because you know it was just the cool people and it was really catty and that was like the first time I can remember realizing there's cliques and different groups and different statuses and in school right and and that whole thing it was kind of like you were conflicted on who you wanted to be like you wanted to stay true to yourself Mm -hmm. but you also wanted to be the cool girl in that situation I, i think that's really interesting and even being young you can't i was in fifth grade when i started realizing this and i at that stage realized i was being and like i wouldn't have used the word shallow at that age but i realized i was being shallow at that age and you have this anxiety and crisis internally because you're like I feel bad for ditching these girls for this reason, but I want to be with the cool girls. Right. So that... That's that's really interesting. I know, and it was something that lasted through junior high with me, and it honestly, until I came to college, I was not comfortable with being friends with people that actually were like me and stuff. And even in high school, I was part of a friend group that I don't think were people like me at all, and I was conforming to be with the cool kids, and they were mm-hmm. not like me at all. Like, I, I feel like you, you have a pretty good sense of being able to, like, you were able to reflect on it, mm-hmm. and you were able to see, like, oh, I, this, in this situation, I wasn't being true to myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what I mean by, like, if you fail a stage, you can go back and correct mm-hmm. it via reflection, right. via, like, realizing right. the rights and wrongs. So I, I think in your situation, like, you realized, oh, I wasn't being true to myself. Right. I, I really should have. So, Anthony, our, my boyfriend, Nick's college roommate and boyfriend (laughs) he from i'm speaking for him but let's just assume i'm right because i think he's verbalized this to me before he really really liked high school and he really liked his friend group and he seemed to enjoy like being in high school and playing high school sports and who he was surrounded with and he has very fond memories of high school i however I didn't hate high school, like, it's not like a a coming-of-the-age movie where I was miserable, but I have no allegiance to my high school, I don't feel alumni pride, I don't even know if I speak to anybody from high school. I look back with very few fond memories because I was in a friend group in high school that weren't people, like, I didn't understand them, they didn't understand me, but they were cool, so I conformed to be like them. And I feel no allegiance to these people I was quote-unquote friends with for four years, and I think what happened is then when I came, went to school and, and when I moved on to college, you know, people become, hopefully most people experience this. I did. I think Anthony did. I think my friends did in school. You become tr- your true self. You learn about who you are and what makes you, like, happy, what makes you sad. And so I found my friends in, in college that were... They appreciated my good things, my bad things, my weird things. They understand me as, even if they don't understand me as a person, they accept me. I think that's a big thing is like your friends accepting you. And so I look back at college and I have very, very fond memories of school. And it's a lot because of people I'm surrounded with. So this is something, and also a very interesting point I want to discuss with you, Nick. Um, Something I thought about was in the school age, the school age stage, like we talked about, you stick with your own gender roles. You say boy and girl. And you stay with your girls, you stay with your boys. That's what you want to do. In high school is when 
we have our first real relationships. That's something I wanted to say at the beginning. In high school is when you have your very first real relationships. Like these friendships and these boyfriends and girlfriends, they actually mean something to you. And now fights with these people can actually affect you in a way that fights in elementary school really don't affect you. And something interesting I found in myself was when I was in the school age, absolutely I wanted to stick with the girls. And then when I was in the adolescence age, that's when suddenly it's cool to be friends with both genders and, and, you know, people start integrating more. And in high school and junior high, I was just so awkward. I couldn't be friends with a boy because I just couldn't naturally do it. It just felt weird to me. And I always wanted to be friends with boys. You know, we had a mixed gender friend group and I was always thinking, oh yeah, I'm friends with boys, but I wasn't friends with boys. Like they didn't know anything about me. I knew nothing about them. And if they tried to talk to me, I felt awkward. And it's kind of funny because then again, when I transitioned into college um, and you learn about your true self and what makes you happy and stuff. And three of my closest friends from college are now boys and it's like very natural friendships. It's you, Andy and Rosso. I thought that was a really interesting transition because when I was in high school, all I wanted to do was be friends with boys. And then when I got to college, you three were my best friends. And sometimes I even thought, oh, I wish my girlfriends were around more because I hang out with boys too much. You know what I mean? I don't know if you ever experienced anything like that. No, I I did. Like, so my friend group in high school is honestly the same friend group that I have today. Mm -hmm. Like, my my current roommate is my best friend from kindergarten. Mm -hmm. He was the one that made me stop crying whenever uh, my mom dropped me off in kindergarten. That's true love. That is true love. He tucks me into bed every night. (laughs) Kisses you on the forehead. Yep. Go to sleep, little Nikki. (laughs) But... uh, yeah, so my, my friend group in high school is the same group of guys, same group of girls that I've been hanging out with. And they're they're the only group of people that I really trust and the only group of people that I feel comfortable around because I, I would consider myself an introvert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless I'm with, like, my No, my I crew. agree. I think you're introverted. Yeah, but I mean, like, once I'm, like, with people that I enjoy, then I'm just like, I'm here. Right. Where's the party? But he no, doesn't I, say that. I do. I ask that every time I enter a room. <laughs> Even the bathroom. And nobody ever answers me because <laughs> there's never a party. <laughs> that you're invited to, at least. <laughs> so, stage six, which is early adulthood, that's the next stage. Surprise! In the, uh, we're there! Yeah, we're here. This is us. This is one that I really wanted to talk about because I, I have a lot to say. Uh, this The crisis in this stage is intimacy versus isolation. And that's not intimacy as in, like, you need to find someone, someone to kiss on. <laughs> You, you need to find people that, that are your group, your people. It can be said as simple as family, boyfriends and girlfriends, and friends that fully accept your good things, your bad things, and this is the important part to me. They don't always understand you, but they accept you anyway, and they love you anyway. Right. And I, I have a, a class that I'm taking currently, and one of my professors said something that was so simple, but it really, really stuck with me, and he was talking about how he moved from a... I forget what state it was. It was down south to Pittsburgh. And one of his mentors asked him when he arrived, he's like, have you found your village yet? And he told us this story in class. And I wrote it down because I really, really liked it. The and only notes it. he took that day in class, by the way. Yes. My <laughs> pen ran out of ink because I wrote, find your village in big, big. I used each page for one letter. <laughs> but yeah, he, he told us this story and I, I really, really liked it. And I thought it was so simple, yet it was so powerful at the same time. And I Googled it and I find that that's the, the common saying for like women who are pregnant is to find your village, find your support system. And I, I interpreted it differently. I interpreted it as like, everybody needs to find their village. Everybody <laughs> needs to find their support Whether system. you're with child or not. <laughs> yes. I'm currently without child. And I believe that I've found my village. That's what I'm trying mm-hmm, to say. Mm-hmm. And I try to surround myself with people that are going to support me, that are going to accept me, that are going to uh, listen to my podcast, <laughs> that are going to... If you are if you don't listen to our podcast, you're not in our village. Let's just get nope. that straight. You've been kicked out of the village. <laughs> People that are going to come to your basketball games and cheer for you, even if you suck. (laughs) I encourage everyone to reflect on your friend groups, your villages. See if these are people worth keeping around. These are people that you want. Oh, now we're making people just cut people out of their lives? I thought this was was like a touchy-feely, like, feel good about your friends and stuff. This is turning to be very vicious. Jill, if they don't cheer for you at your basketball game, kick them out. (laughs) Delete their number. I'm serious. There you have it. If you guys don't have friends that will do that, then your friends suck. I'm sorry. I didn't want to be the one to deliver this news, but I was, so I'm sorry. So, yeah, I mean, some of my closest friends, I'm just very blessed to have them. I'm 2,000 miles away, 
from them and I'm just very grateful to have them and that's why sometimes I think it's hard being so far away is because I have a great group of people out here but you know they just don't fully know me yet they just don't fully understand me yet and so it makes you miss your village a little bit because it's like you Andy and Rosso I can completely truly be myself in front of you guys and if I'm doing something really weird or rude you'll call me out on it you don't just like talk about me behind my back you know Um, (laughs) do you right yeah (laughs) <laughs> let me just delete this group message real quick. <laughs> i think there's two stages that nick and i can really just touch on but you know we can't really say anything about it because we haven't reached them yet the next stage is middle adulthood and that's your 30s to your 50s and then there's yeah. there's later adulthood which is essentially 50 forward so the reason i'm kind of moving us forward is because i think there's some uh general questions and like big stages in our lives that gave us clarity that i think uh nick and i it would be good to kind of wrap up the podcast that way Mm -hmm. so the first question i would like to ask nick and i think i want to ask him because because i i know someone that has different a different answer for this than me and this is for everybody to think about do you think you spend more time considering your past or your future now i thought about this a little bit i think about both pretty evenly because I think that the past is very influential on your present and your future. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would say I probably give a little bit more weight to the future. And I would say that the future has a lot of opportunity. And that's why I look to it a lot is there's so much to be done. There's so much to be seen. There's so much to be experienced. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge, a huge part of me is I love experiencing new things, new people, places. Mm-hmm. And so I, I look to the future as a a huge opportunity for growth Mm -hmm. and i look at the past and i laugh yeah because i've done a lot of really silly stupid things i mean think about it we are just brand new college grads so up until this point our whole lives really have just been stupid cringy silly things like to laugh at like we just got through the cringiest stages of our lives so (laughs) i can agree with you at that point well how would you answer that i I don't want to say I didn't enjoy my past because I am a huge believer that everything you go through, and I guess this is the way we're ending our podcast from now on. We're going to do like a nice spiritual cleansing for everybody. Um, I think that everything you go through, whether it's, it's good or bad, and I'm saying this as a person that has been blessed to not go through hardship in their life like I've mm-hmm. had hardship that feels hard in the, at the time but I've been very blessed that I haven't gone through very difficult hardships thus far and I'm and I hope it stays that way obviously but to me the future is much more exciting because I have so much more to see and do and and like my future involves you know maybe living near Anthony and getting to do these things together and eventually being back near my family and there's nothing for me to really look at the past about right now, especially because I wasn't right. I wasn't true to myself for so many years, and I use that as a lesson to move forward. I just think I have a lot of exciting things in my life. There's a lot of mistakes to be made and a lot of good things to happen and a lot to learn, so I look to the future for the same reasons that you do. And that's probably the answer for most people. Maybe once you start to get to that mid, like the mid-adulthood stage, maybe that's when you start to look for to the past. Maybe that's why we are answering to the future, because people... People say this is the best time of your life, this age. So, you know, ask us again in 20 years and, and we probably will have a different answer. No, 100%. I think you could ask us the same question in any of the stages and we would have a different answer. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Obviously, you guys can tell that we like to joke around and we're idiots a lot, but we also appreciate uh, introspective time and, like, learning about yourself. We've made that clear in the past two podcasts, I think. And something Nick prompted me with for this episode is he said think about sometimes in your life that gave you a lot of clarity and whether it's clarity about something small in your life or something large and Nick already gave me a really good example of that story when his mom turned around in the car and was like Nick you acting like this and not going to school doesn't only affect you but it affects me as well and it could get me in trouble and that was like a moment of clarity that you mentioned can you think of any other times in your life you've had clarity and you think it's restructured your life a little bit? Another big one is when I switch changed my career choice. Well, my, my college major mm-hmm. from accounting to psychology. Mm-hmm. I was kind of nervous like going into college about getting into accounting because I, I wanted to do psychology really bad. Mm-hmm. But I was hearing from so many people that like, oh, like, what are you going to do with a psychology degree? You mm-hmm. can't do much. Like you're going to have to go to grad school and get a Ph.D., But then I just decided to go with accounting because that's what my dad did. I wanted to make him proud as well. Mm -hmm. I got to like my 
sophomore year of college and I was really really struggling with school and I, I hated my accounting classes I was really doing poorly on a lot of accounting stuff and there was one night when I was just like studying for an accounting exam I just broke down and I called my dad and I was just like I can't do accounting I want to switch to psychology mm-hmm. and that was the first time that I felt that I could say anything and they would be like my parents would be accepting mm-hmm. anyway because mm-hmm. I was originally afraid that if I were to say oh like I want to switch to psychology it would be like oh well what are you going to do with that mm-hmm. like you can't do anything with that mm-hmm. but I was able to prove that if I do switch to psychology I'm going to put 110% into it I'm going to go to grad school I'm going to get a PhD I'm going to find a career that I'm really interested in and like really 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 get passionate about it mm-hmm. and I guess the thing for me is just like seeing that they support me mm-hmm. was a huge huge moment of clarity for me that's a good that's a good moment I, I know a lot of people go through stuff like that and I would be lovely if all the parents in the world would accept their kids when they make those choices but I know sometimes it doesn't always happen like that right well he did call me an idiot over the phone no I'm just kidding <laughs> It's it's interesting because it seems like your career path and your schooling shaped your life a lot. I think my moments of clarity came a lot through my friendships and relationships mm-hmm. I had because I told you I struggled in my early life not being true to myself and now I look back and see like that was a mistake but at the time that was a choice I made but it's it's it was a good topic for us to discuss because you and I obviously had very different life paths that kind of woke us up, you know. When you think about your life like no matter you're if you're 50 or if you're 15, there's a lot of introspection and you can examine Mm -hmm. yourself. And it's always interesting to kind of think, why am I this way? First, I think the first step is understanding like how you are. And then you can look and say, why am I this way? Right. But you also can't say like, oh, this is the concrete reason as to why I am this way. Right. So that's a lot of that has to do with weaknesses to this theory as well. The fact that it might not be influenced by culture a lot. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much based on that your life goes perfectly mm-hmm. as a human being. Right. So there's not much to It doesn't into factor in there. like external factors at exactly. all. Exactly. So 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 take it with a grain of salt. Right. But also You don't have to buy into the theory. Maybe just use it as a way to think introspectively about who you are in your life. And I think that's a good way to end the episode. End the episode on a high note. Yeah, so next week we'll do something a little bit lighter, but I thought it was nice to get into something. You know, these are the kind of conversations that Nick and I have, and, like, we wanted to give you guys some insight on the things we talk about and, like, why we think it's interesting. Thanks for giving us a listen. Thank you again to everyone. We got 120 downloads on the first episode. That's crazy. So this episode, I'm hoping we get more. 120 would be great, but I know that we have a lot of fans. I know that we have a lot of people that really wanted to hear us again, and we hope that you stick with us. We're going to keep putting out episodes as long as the numbers keep going up. And uh, hopefully one day we will make it to the big time. And we'll be on Spotify. And we'll have tons of fans. I still want to do that merch. I haven't stopped thinking about it. Stickers only. Stickers only. $30. We'll, we'll knock it down to 25 if we get 130 listeners this time. If you say something nice about me, I'll knock it down to 25 <laughs> Other than that, no deal. Thanks, everybody. As always, send us the feedback and send us some suggestions. Hit us up with the feedback. Thank you again. Early dinner out. No.